Network Automation Nerds podcast. Hello and welcome to the Network Automation Nerds podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and other technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. This episode was originally a live stream event on both YouTube and LinkedIn Live, where me and the producer of my last book answer questions about technical book publishing. I had a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, so um, I think because we have a lot of ground to cover, so we probably just get started to share. Yeah, and um, and we'll we'll just go, and then we'll constantly come back and check. Um, We'll check the the questions, and we have another user that pop up on LinkedIn Learning. So awesome! So I guess link this morning LinkedIn Learning uh, LinkedIn Life is uh, winning versus YouTube. <laughs> Yesterday it was it was kind of the opposite. It was like more YouTube than uh, more YouTube than Twitter. But yeah, so let me go ahead and uh, swap back to the questions and answers that that we'll we'll conduct uh, today. So of course. Today's session is about technical book uh, publishing, and uh, I want to start out with why we're doing this session. Because um, after I published my first book in 2017, um, whenever I go to conferences, when I ever chat with people, um, there's always one of the questions that pop up. It seems like everybody, and and I believe this, is that everybody has a book in them. Especially engineers, they always feel passionate about some projects. They always uh, uh, very knowledgeable in their domain, so everybody has a good book idea, but it just go about getting it into print if that's the way they prefer, or getting into other formats, maybe like an ebook or a course. Those are the difficult parts, or those are the questions that um, because it seems like such a daunting task, so they don't even start. Which I think is a it's a um, it's not a great thing, right? It makes me sad. Like the, the, the world needs more knowledge. The world needs more <laughs> engineers who uh, share the share the knowledge, uh, you know, and just collaborate. And the ideas will bounce off each other. So, um, so we came about this. I was talking to Tushar, which is on the screen right now. He'll have a chance to introduce himself. Um, but um, uh, we we were talking about it. We're saying, hey, you know. Uh, none of us have done LinkedIn Live before, so let's try that. Let's do that live streaming, and let's make it useful for people too about you know technical book publishing uh, and so on. So, um, Tushar, you know, why don't we why don't we just start with you, introduce yourself a little yeah. bit, and uh, tell people who you are. Yeah, so I'm I'm Tushar. Uh, I work as a book producer at Pact. Uh, Pact is quite an enthusiastic uh, place to work at. <laughs> and uh, well, I've learned a lot over the last seven years now. I've completed seven years at Pact. Uh, so I don't come from a tech background, but it's all thanks to experts like you, Eric. Uh, I get to learn a lot every single day. Uh, I ask a lot of questions about why we are covering this uh, and uh, why, why does a book need it. Uh, so there's a lot of research that goes on at the back end. So uh, I get to meet with a lot of experts day in and day out and just hear the ideas out, research quite a bit whether there are actual pain points in the industry, uh, whether the community is looking for a book as such or not. So we look at trends, we look at uh, a lot of different places with what's really happening in the community. So when this idea came up with about Python networking, that's one of the things that we looked at, that what are the other are the books out there? At that point in time, there were not a lot of books. And Eric, your book was the first one uh, 
about the earlier ones at the time. So uh, right now we are planning the next edition of the book. So while planning the next edition of the book, it's like over the last three editions, we covered quite a lot of ground. Now, what do we add in next other than just adding more and more about different technologies, about Ansible or Jenkins, um, asynchronous programming. So what do we do next? So it's about just understanding what the community needs, what are their pain points. So one of the major reasons for the session is also that to understand what people really need to learn from this book. Yeah, that's true. So I think you cover a lot of ground there, Tushar. So we'll we'll definitely dive into each of these, what you're saying, because what you talked about, you know, looking at the community pain point, that goes directly into generating a book idea, right? And when you look at, when you talked about um, uh, finding out experts, that goes into how do one, how do a person uh, like an engineer get discovered by people like you, who are actively seeking out. So it's kind of like the meeting of the minds. It's where where are the mediums to, to yeah. go about doing that and so on. Um, so I, I think one of the questions we could go over first as you, as we were discussing offline before the streaming about how does how to get started in Python network automation. And uh, I think it's a big topic and I've actually uh, conducted separate uh, sessions, which was a YouTube live stream before on how to get this started. But basically, I think there are three steps. One is actually to get the foundations down. So, you know, if you're, for example, Python network automation, right, you can't automate something that you don't really know. So you want to get mm. the foundation of networking done. So you, you know, you maybe if I were to overlay this with a certification, maybe like a CCNA level, you want to do the, uh, get the foundation down, get the uh, basics of Python, you don't need to get uh, be experts but you do have to at least know the basics of python then you marry the two of you know joining a community buying a book or uh, there are various free resources out there and great recommendations for people i've included a few of them uh in my previous youtube streaming which i'll include in the show notes but uh, but so those are i think the three things that you you want to do when you get started, make sure you know the basics. Make sure uh, that's both network engineering and Python. And um, that's joining a good community because you want to get motivated. You want to find out more use cases and uh, also find good resources like you know books, classes, uh, videos, and so on. So I think those are the three things that um, you could get started with, uh, with Python. So I think the next question is just, Who's this guy on the screen talking to me? <laughs> why why is he doing this session? Right, we already covered why the session was required. But um, so I'll go over my uh, kind of background and experience. I've been in the networking industry for about twenty years. Um, I started in the in the millennium um, when I graduated mm-hmm. from college. I had a uh, internship toward the end of my college year uh, to work for an ISP. So then uh, after I graduated, they offered me a full time position. Then I started working for the ISP, uh, gradually going to, uh, and that was when the United States was building out broadband uh, actively. So back the, <laughs> back in the Stone Age, kids, uh, <laughs> we used to have a phone line that dials up and have those beep, 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 beep sound. And mm-hmm. you dial line with 28K, that was, you know, 56K was the bomb, guys. You know, but <laughs> anyway, so that was dial up. And then uh, there were uh, a lot of ISPs were... Uh, Actively, and then you know it came DS, ADSL and then cable modem. So a lot of ISPs were actively building out broadband network in the United States, and so I joined one of the ISPs uh, called Time Warner Cable, and um, so it's a subsidiary of the Warner Brothers. 
and then uh, oh, I'm sorry, AOL Time Warner, and then you know join the ISP, start working for vendors, uh, and then start working for cloud providers, and then um, different cloud providers, and then uh, came to my current employer, which is A10 Networks. So my publishing experience uh, started when I was after I left Microsoft, I think. So after I left Microsoft, I started to think about, okay, what do I want to do? And one of the things I feel passionate and not enough of was not enough of this great thing that I found so amusing and so fascinating, but nobody was talking about it, which is network automation using Python. And I remember, I just feel very frustrated. I couldn't find like-minded people on, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, I just want to talk to somebody about it. I want to hear what their use cases are and what am I doing? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? So what I ended up doing was just making a ton of mistakes. I was like, I, I said this many times and I truly believe this was the case. I was like the crash dummy. Uh, you know, these the car commercials where they have the crash dummies? <laughs> they slam me into a, a wall. So I was like that crash dummy for network automation with Python. So I try yeah. out everything. And uh, what I wanted to do at the time was to summarize all the mistakes I've made and tell people not to make those mistakes. So mm. the the uh, the persona or the intended audience was a younger Eric. Uh, you know, when you <laughs> first, when I see myself as a five years ago, when I first started out this path, what what do I wish I had known? And then so I don't waste all these time or not, pers- pers- not exactly waste, but, um, but I could have been more efficient, right? Had I not... look at 10 different libraries. If I just look at two libraries that end up working out great, then it would have saved me a lot of time. So that was my background. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, We'll go into that later on, you know, get the book published. And, uh, you know, fortunately, it was well-received in the community. And now we're in the third edition, as Tushar was mentioning, going on the fourth edition. So so that was like in a nutshell, uh, and I also went into this a little bit on this next question was, how did the book publishing opportunity came about for Eric? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm dominating the, the four and two shot, but um, it just so happened. Like I organized these questions in the wrong way, but I promise to will have a lot of opportunity to talk about the publishing process. So I started out my blog. Um, so like I said, I was frustrated, but um, I didn't think of myself as an author. I thought of myself as just being someone who has something to say and to share. So I started out my blog uh, back in 2016, I want to say, even earlier than that. I'm sorry, 2011, I started out my blog. I just wasn't publishing regularly. So I started out, you know, uh, start writing about the stuff I feel passionate about, which is Python network automation, uh, start writing about OpenFlow. And one of the blog posts, um, this was like, 40 or 50 blog posts in, right? So it wasn't like it was an instant success. It was just something I wrote on, as a side hobby. And one of the blog posts actually ranked pretty high for OpenFlow on Google. At the time, um, I remember this was about uh, Pox controller. So OpenFlow at the time was written in Java. And so their controller was in Knox, which was uh, in Java. But somebody forked that and used Python to do the same functions, but in Python called Pox. But the documentation was a bit lacking. I think the engineer was more passionate about writing code than documentation. So, so I spent a lot of time just, just uh, you know, fiddling around with the software, looking at the software, you know, banging my head against the wall. And uh, so I ended up writing that blog post, which ended up being uh, something that people refer to quite a bit. And so it ranked pretty high on Google. And that is when Pact uh, came and, uh, you know, knock on the door and say, hey, would you be interested in publishing? So 
that that was how I came about. Does that is that how you know? I guess we could jump over to to the question to Tushar about. So how do how do you know how do you generally go about、uh, finding out experts in the community and、um, you know potential authors to share? I, I think there are two different ways to go about it.、Uh, yep. So one of the ways would be that someone gets in touch with us directly and says that、uh, I have X number of years of experience and I have a book in me and this is the idea that I would like to write a book on. So when such a thing happens, then we conduct our research and we. See if that topic is actually trending, and if the、uh, person who got in touch with us actually an expert to write such a book, because at the end of the day, it is about serving the community.、Uh, if the community does not feel that the person writing the book is the best one to write it, then it's it's no point. So it's like if I write a book on Python network automation with ten <laughs>、uh, hours a day of research, no one is going to buy that book. People are going to be like, "What is he talking about?" These are just just a summation of ten different articles that I could have found online. Why did I even pay for this book? And that's one star on Amazon throughout from everyone. So that's one thing that we do. And the second way of doing it is we look at a lot of technologies and trends ourselves. We keep an eye out on them. And so once we've identified that this is going to be the next big thing, or this is where the technology is trending, we then start looking out for experts. And that is when someone got in touch with you, Eric. That、uh, we can see that you've written n number of articles, and there is one of your recent articles which is、uh, just blown apart. It's breaking the internet. And、uh, why not write a book? Since you're so good with writing, you've got a flair for it. So that's the other way of it. And then we discuss it with experts like you. And so there are, yeah, these are the two main ways that we do things. Yeah, so that's a、um, that's always tricky to share, right? Because、um, that's always the million dollar question. It's all everybody's asking, like VCs are asking, you know,、uh, <laughs> employers, employees, the startups are all asking, what is the next big thing? So it's hard to,、um, and of course you mentioned that, and、uh, the risk is a little lower than VCs, but、uh, <laughs> but still, it's it's valid nonetheless, right? Like, how do you identify? The trend. How do you know this is a a idea worth exploring? Yeah, I'm I'm only a VC in the sense that I don't have I with the lack of money in my bank account. <laughs> But yeah, so so what, the main thing that we do is we keep an eye on technology,、yeah. uh, about what the current trends are, the pain points. So the pain points have to match the trend. It's not only about the trends in the industry.、Uh, so if there are a lot of pain points, a lot of people looking for articles. Uh, you can look at multiple places. There's Stack Overflow. Now you've got Reddit.、Uh, a lot of people talk about technology. They ask questions. How how do you do about go about these things? As Quora, so we keep an eye out on all of these things. And、uh, at this point in time, we are in the luxury of having published what about over six thousand five hundred books now. So we have a certain amount of target audience. So we can always get in touch with them. And、uh, so. When when we do update books, like when we plan out second or third editions, in your case, the fourth edition of the book, we try and get in touch with the previous edition readers. We ask them what did they like about the book,、uh, whether the tone of voice was nice,、uh, whether the book was deep enough,、uh, the content,、uh, if they felt the content was shallow. So we try and identify trends even in that. So if a lot of people come back to us and they say that、oh, probably the book should have been deeper. Uh, the content was a bit shallow, and I didn't like it.、Uh, so, if there is a trend with a lot of people saying that, 
Then with the next edition, we'll try and do that. So it's always about improvising. Uh, it's, it's, you don't repeat the same mistakes. You learn from it and then you correct it. <laughs> Hopefully, right? Hopefully, like yeah. I, I, I constantly do that. So I, I had need yeah. to remind myself not to, uh, not to repeat my mistakes. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to remind people who join the stream. You know, keep those questions coming. I love them. So, um, I, uh, so Meredith actually uh, asked me, asked on the on the comment section, and where do you publish mm-hmm. the article that got so much traction? Um, it was a fl- free platform. I think it was Blogger. So, uh. Keep in mind, this was 2011. <laughs> so, um, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't really that much into like website building or uh, I, I just want to get something out. So I chose a free platform, the blogger platform, and I just started writing. Uh, they were able to, even back then, they were able to uh, see name, uh, have your customized domain. So I think I did register a domain and then uh, just see name that to, to blogger. But um but I guess Blogger is actually owned by Google, so they're actually uh, the the search wouldn't would just work, right? <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. so that's that's uh, that was the platform um, that that I published on initially, and then later on um, I started building on my platform as well. So, um, but that wasn't a separate story. Like I wanted to learn about Django, I wanted to learn about Wagtail. So. Um, so I was trying to solve my own problem and say, okay, well, you know, in this case, so blogger has some limitations, like the, the formatting and the layout are actually uh, restricted by like their cookie cutter templates. So they can only have certain layouts, but if I wanted to ask something new, then, um, it's a bit more difficult. So that's why I went and started doing my own, uh, platform basically for learning. And also I think that would have, uh, generated more ideas for me as far as future blog posts. Yeah. So thanks for the question. And then, so the next one that I, I generally receive when people ask me about, you know, my book publishing experience was what is kind of like the general workflow for a book from just an idea in your, you know, tingling in your mind to finally seeing on the digital bookshelf on Amazon. So do you want to take, take a bite into that too, Shark? Yeah, so uh, writing a book, it always starts with an idea. Uh, Firstly, sure. it starts with an interest that I can write a book. And then people think that, okay, now I can write a book. What is the book that I would like to write on? Uh, so they identify a topic. So a lot of us do that. So if we get in touch with people uh, who would like to write a book, but they're not sure, uh, right. we try to understand what their profile is, what their skills are, what they've done and where they can contribute. And then we we try and identify the topics within that. And uh, the main thing to keep in uh, mind is the topic, what you want to write a book on. And then the second thing is the pain points. Mm-hmm. So you have to match it with that. So it cannot just be a general book on, say, what is Python? Uh, there are tons of books out there. There are tons of articles out there. Uh, people don't really need to pay for books to know what Python is or just to learn the basic code syntax of Python. But yeah, it has to be a bit more detailed because these are paid books. This this is not free content. So it has to be a bit more detailed. There has to be actual pain points that people would like to learn and understand. So one of the common things that I heard about your book, and you would hear that too, that as, as you rightly said in the beginning, that when you started writing, it was a lot about the common mistakes that you made and you don't want people to make those mistakes. So a lot of your book is, the content in your book is filled with best practices. 
So most of the people that I got on call with among readers and I spoke to, they said that I use this book as a reference guide. With every mm-hmm. new edition, I purchase this book. And as and when I'm working on that part aspect of network automation, I go to that chapter and I look at it and I see what Eric is telling me to do. And then probably I follow the steps. And yeah, so that's actually how it happens. That's the ideation bit, the initial bit. And once right. ideation happens, uh, it's about having a logical TOC, uh, just keeping the target audience in mind that this is my target audience, or let's say in your case, that this is my persona, this is Eric five years ago. So what would Eric like to learn five years ago? He would like to be introduced with Python automation, and then slowly and steadily, he would like to gradually build up, 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 up to a position where he would like to work with cloud architecture, different clouds, and uh, at a point, then he would like to get with multi-clouds, how to work with all of them, and then finally be able to test the network automation. So yeah, it's, it's just that a logical uh, learning curve that you develop with your TOC. So once the author does that, we do a lot of bit of research. We try and understand whether it is actually logical as the author covered all the possible libraries that he could have. Uh, so because there's a limitation of the book, you cannot cover hundreds of libraries. So you pick up the best ones available and then you try and cover them in the book. Uh, and then after that, so once the ideation is completed, the TOC is completed, that's when we get the author on board officially with a contract. And then the chapter writing starts. Then the author starts writing chapters. And then, yeah. yeah. That, so no, yeah. I was going to say, um, a lot of people, a lot of people were uh, maybe didn't realize how much work ahead, how much preparation work goes mm-hmm. in for the book was published, right? So, like you said, so the the idea itself needed to be vetted out. So, for, in my own personal experience, back in 2017, when I first had the idea, they would reach out, and that was a, a bit of a back and forth between just I now like the precisely what you want to say, right? Like it's not a, it's not the book about open flow, even though that was the article that you yeah. know, people can notice on, but how do we extract that and have a wider appeal on, uh, you know, on, on the most, uh, you know, on the most targeted audience uh, as wide, but also very focused. So there's a lot of just idea generation, uh, as Tushar was talking about the TOC, the table of contents, and also within each table of contents in your proposal that you write would actually include uh, like a summary, a, a general idea of what this chapter would cover. And yeah. this is very common amongst all different publishers, right? Like so, so I also worked with uh, O'Reilly. I also have proposals submitted, worked out with uh, various other publishers, not just PAC, but this is pretty common. It's just like they yeah. want to, uh, your your editor and you would have to come up with a very precise, uh, well, not very precise, but at least 70% general understanding of how the book will go about. And it also yeah. helps you as the author to kind of think about the topics as well as uh, what are the gaps I need to fill and how much time do I generally need? If I know this topic, you know, like the back of my hand, then that's a lot quicker than something like just say, oh, yeah, I'm vaguely interested and uh, I know I, I'm very enthusiastic about it, but I still need a lot of gap to fill in. So yeah. those were kind of the the issues that uh, arise. So there was a proposal and you submitted a proposal to 
um, to the publisher. And they would actually, there's a vetting process, right, Tushar? Like, it's not every proposal gets approved. Yeah. So a lot of proposals don't get approved. So uh, in those cases, we actually try and shift the author to a different idea. Or mm-hmm. if, yeah, well, if the author is not interested in. But one of the major things that helps with all of this vetting process and uh, with all of this idea generation bit is that a skeleton of the book is ready in front of you. Yeah. And when, when yeah. you get to writing the chapters, uh, it's it's completely there for you. So you know what you had in mind. So rarely would be the case where the author would be like, during the TOC development, I thought that it would make sense, but now it doesn't. But yeah, there are times that people do feel that that at that point in time, I thought that it would make sense, but he or she would believe that at this point it doesn't. So yeah, we we then skip those chapters or we leave them out completely. Yeah, I think it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's it's yeah. valid work. It's it's a a process that's been fine too, as in the case of Pact, right? Like sixty five hundred books, sixty five hundred times that you know this is what works. Like you do need that need that process of just thinking it through. Uh, so I'm speaking from an author perspective, right? You do need that process of just laying out a logic. And a lot of times it makes sense in your head, but once you put it on paper, then you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, it doesn't really make sense to jump from topic A to topic B. There should be some kind of on-ramp and a gentle on-ramp for people. Yeah. So it is a process that works and uh, don't be discouraged <laughs> if if you're faced with, oh my God, this this publisher asked me to write a proposal that is, you know, 10 pages long. How am I going to do that? But it's it's worth the process. It, it's a worth, yeah. worthwhile uh, exercise. Yeah, and it's, it's not always a one-way effort that, well, we are there as well to support the author's who try and come on board. Uh, so wherever we find gaps, we always probe them further. We ask them the right questions to guide them in the right way. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's definitely a collaborative process. So I appreciate the uh, the editors who I've worked with. They really helped a lot, um, especially Tushar. Tushar, you're, um, you're, you've been very helpful in, you know, hammering out the ideas, certainly for the third edition. Uh, but, you know, they're, the first and second edition editors, you know, appreciate them as well. So we have a lot, a, a few uh, questions that popped up. Mm-hmm. So let's go over them. Yeah. So I think Yuri asked, uh, I'll repeat this. Uh, do you beta test chapters, topics of a book with selected audience, possibly changing the death and topic as you get more feedback? What do you, what do you say to that, Tushart? Do we- yes, we do. Uh, so we, have tech- <laughs> we have technical reviewers on board. Uh, yeah. We have internal editors on board there are different roles so the technical reviewers uh, read through the chapter they try and understand the content just as a reader would so for them it's the first draft of the chapter Uh, unfortunately for them it's a very very early draft it's a raw draft where they have to try and make sense so wherever they can't make sense they add comments and they send it back to us they help us test the code Uh, we also do uh, we also get beta users on board Uh, so yeah so beta users get early access to all the chapters. Uh, they read through the content as well. They test the code. Uh, they give us more feedback too. And internally, we have technical editors who test the code. Then we've got content development editors who run through the entire content and just try to smoothen the learning journey as much as possible. So yes, we do yeah. have that. Yeah. And from an author's perspective, um... I I take it as advice, but I don't take it as the final say, right? Like I think 
there's a certain way, you know, you could call me stubborn or you could call me <laughs> just a strong, strong-minded person, but um, there's a certain way I want my book to be organized uh, or there's certain elements I want my book to present. So, you know, like I take it as, as a strong advice for sure. I listen to them. I read all the reviews, but at the end of the day, if I disagree and uh, I'm firm on my disagreement, then the author actually has the final say, I think. And yeah. that's true with editors as well. So, you know, I've worked with editors who uh, may have certain ideas or certain, uh, you know, thought process that I disagree with. And usually, you know, I I, I would say 90% of the time, it's a collaborative process that we worked out, you know, like just a, a solution yeah. that both of us could accept. But um, but if it com- push comes to shove, I think the author has the final say because at the end yeah. of the day, is your name on the cover and it's it's your work that's being you know publicly judged on. So yeah. you know it's it's you that being judged on. So but yeah, that's a fantastic. This is a fantastic pro- question. I, I love yeah. this uh, interaction. So thank you so much, Yuri, for posting yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah, and also there's another one from Meredith. What do you think would be a more popular book, a high level best practice book or deep dive technical book on one subject? So hmm. I have my own idea, but I'll let I'll let uh, Tushar go first. I think it completely depends from topic to topic. Uh, like Python network automation has been there for quite a while now. So yeah. having a deep dive technical book on Python network auto- automation would probably make sense if it would be an academic book. But what we cater to mostly is not an academic audience. We cater to developers, programmers in the real world with real jobs. Uh, that is one of the major reasons why Eric's book works with best practices approach. Uh, Had it been that our core audience would be academic uh, and early level audience, a deep dive technical book would really work. But yeah, it depends from publisher to publisher and topic to topic. I I would agree. So for a technical deep dive book, um, just from speaking to other authors and speaking to various different publishers, I think a a technical deep dive book, you would... um, have a good reach if it end up being a textbook, right? Like if it's a, yeah. if it's a required reading from a professor at a college, then yeah. heck, you know, you're you're guaranteed some income, guaranteed exposure year after yeah. year. You're guaranteed like four editions after, right? But those most of the time, those books are written by professors. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's like a popular thing or the correct thing to say, but. I mean, most when I went through college, most of my te- college textbooks are either written by the professor I'm taking a class with or written yeah. by other professors in other universities, right? And yeah. they they get paid for writing uh, papers and publishing books and articles. Um, whereas in uh, from my background as an engineer, um, you know, coming here, uh, for me, you know, I, I think a higher level best practice book uh, works out better. And yeah. I also want to uh, pass the baton to Tushar on this, but I also think there are also different best practice type, right? So there's yeah. also there's this like I'll teach you this technology, and also there's also the cookbook, there's also the um, reference book type. So Tushar, you want to give a little reference on kind of um, you know the kind of series of yeah. titles or book type of books that for best practice. Yeah. Yeah, so there are different books at PACT. So PACT follows a basic series of, so when it's an early level audience, the book will always be titled Learning 
XYZ, yeah. whatever the right. topic would be. So that would be an early level audience. And then when you move on to an intermediate level audience, they mostly prefer uh, if, if you want a learning path where you want to be introduced with different concepts, they would idly pick up books like Eric's, which is mastering books, which is catered to an intermediate audience. But when people need actionable items, they don't need uh, a lot of theory in the book. They just want to follow tasks or recipes, as we call them. Yep. Uh, they would they would pick up cookbooks. Cookbooks are extremely popular in the tech publishing industry, where there is literally no theory in the book. The entire <laughs> book just follows different different tasks. So yeah, each each chapter is filled with recipes, and each recipe is a task basically. But Meredith, you ask an important question. So uh, there are a few books at Pact which are deep dive technical books. Now, when these books were published initially, uh, these were popular topics like Python machine learning. Uh, it's one of the most popular books at Pact, written by Sebastian Rashka. Uh, again, he is also a professor. So when, when he wrote this book, it was a deep dive book and it still continues to be. And it is extremely popular with an early level audience and uh, with the academics. And then there was a book written by uh, Robert Sutor. Uh, the book was titled Dancing with Qubits. It was an early introduction to quantum computing. The book is extremely difficult with math and it's an early level audience picking up the book. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the math that I understand. Like, like a typical cliche that an Indian understanding math. And I'm really proud of it. But I started reading through that book and after 15 pages, I couldn't keep track of the math in the book. It's that heavy and academics love that book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's a good point. So, so obviously there are certain uh, categories that the publishers and the authors follow, which was you know like what Tushar was saying, the learning path, and then the mastering path, and then the uh, the cookbook cookbook path. Um, but it also has to do with the maturity of the technology, like like yeah. what you were saying, uh, Tushar. It was you know machine learning is inherently full with math or uh, the Cubist book, you full with scientific terms and, yeah. and math and all of that. So even the learning series, which is intended for introductory, yeah. is still quite a bit of a jump for yeah. uh, normal folks uh, like you and I, who's just, you know, casually pretty good yeah. at math, but not, not math majors in college. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think, I hope that answered the question um, as far as, so it depends on technology, depends on the, uh, the maturity of the technology and also your intended audience, I think. Yeah. So there's uh, another. Yeah. Eric, one thing I would quickly like to cover. Um, thank you everyone for your questions. I, we forgot to mention this early on, uh, but please feel free to ask as many questions as you would like. Um, I think after this uh, live show has ended and we were, Eric would publish this on, LinkedIn and YouTube. So we'll randomly go out and pick uh, five people who've asked the best questions and uh, we'll conduct a giveaway of Eric's book. If you've read through Eric's book, uh, we would welcome your feedback and you can pick out any one of uh, the 6,500 books and packs catalog and we'll help you get the ebooks for free. 
Nice. Yeah. yeah that, sorry, I forgot to mention it. So Tushar yeah. literally like told me five minutes before we started and was like, yeah, that's great. And uh, But I just well, didn't stick in my mind. Sorry about that. But <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Tushar. And thanks for, thanks Pat, Pat Publishing for, um, you know, generosity of sharing the, the assets. Yeah. So there's another great question from Meredith. And so mm-hmm. the question was, it sounds like the book writing sounds like a big time commitment that could personally be rewarding, but can you actually make money writing a book? That is actually the probably the top three questions I get. And that is why I prepare two additional questions that we'll go over uh, in a bit. So one is how do you like, what's the, what's considered a good performing book, right? So like if your book is not performant, then obviously you're not going to, you're not going to make any money, but there's also a base amount of money that you could make and so on. So there's two questions later on uh, regarding this question. One is how do you determine the book is doing good? Like what target should you shoot for? And the second was uh, what were the different revenue stream for an author? And so not just the royalties, but there are also other revenue streams as well. So, so thanks, but you know, thanks for the question. That's an excellent one. And I would tell you that's one of the top three, if not the top question I get. Uh, but that's why we'll we'll go over that uh, in more depth later on. So um, actually, you know, as as you would have it. So what are the different revenue streams? And that's that's actually the the next question. Just so coincidence coincidence that um, that we get that. So yeah. Well, you know, Tushar, why don't you why don't you go first? I, I get tired of hearing my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there are multiple revenue streams. So Amazon is one of our major channels where we sell books are uh, other than our own platform. So uh, selling units of the book is one of the revenue streams. Uh, the others are the book gets translated into multiple different languages. Uh, Eric, your book has popularly uh, gotten translated into four different languages over editions. Uh, each edition has four different languages. Uh, they get translated. Then... So uh, what else? Uh, there are conference opportunities that come up for authors once a book gets popular. There are, in fact, even job opportunities which open up, opens up when people start seeing that the book is getting popular and the author is getting more and more renowned. Uh, then the book gets converted into a course. It gets converted into a video. Uh, and if, if there are some popular organizations or Fortune 500 organizations which comes up, so we create a learning path for them uh, specifically. So any and every revenue that is generated by the book, it is, well, the authors get royalties for it. So yeah, there are multiple yeah. streams for the revenue. Yeah, definitely. So um, so um, you would get, so when you worked out the proposal and you know kind of formulate this project idea, not just the contents, but also the project, um, you would work out a uh, royalty percentage with your publisher. And it's different from everybody. And it's also a royalty advancement, uh, which is something that gets subtracted on later on. So it's an advancement on your royalty. So it's not free money, uh, but it's a commitment from the publisher to the author to uh, to say, regardless of how the book sells, these are the money that you would guarantee to get. So yeah. those are kind of money that you're guaranteed. And when once the book is published, uh, uh, depending on the sales volume, you get you you deducted that from your royalty advancement. So that's um, I don't know what the technical term is, but I generally referring to it as earning out your royalty. So you know, let's just say it's ten dollars, and you get one dollar per book. 
then you sell 10 books, um, but you don't get any money uh, because you already like they already paid you basically. Uh, but starting from the 11th book, then you will start get paid. So those are the royalty advancements. And so yeah. as what uh, Tushar was saying, once the book is published, the uh, there are several ways that you could still generate revenue besides the original royalty percentage. One is you could uh, they could make you can make your book into a video course, which I have done twice on uh, because the videos are generally take longer than the book form, not the producing time, but like just the length of the course. So I mm. divided that into two courses. So there's two video courses based on the book. Uh, three actually, one is not by me. See, they just took the content and and make that into a course. And of course, there's translation, and the translation varies because is a um, each country has different uh, going rate for for what they pay to pact. Uh, or what they pay for royalties. So each of them is a little bit different. And um, yeah, I, I actually got to know this part better because I wanted to translate my book into Chinese. So uh, so I actually worked with a Chinese publisher and they went ahead and bought the translation rights. I ended up translating. So I should have more information on that, but it's too specific, right? So it's not, yeah. you know, I don't want to disclose it here. If you're interested in that, you know, I could share you with that one data point, but it's a, it's a bit specific in that regard. Yeah. So, so what anything... Eric was actually sorry. Go yeah. on, no, no, go ahead, Tushar, please. Yeah. So what Eric was talking about earlier was advances. So while the authors are writing the chapters of the book, we agree on an X number of advances against royalties. So during the writing course of the book, while the book gets published, uh, we pay those advances in installments. So as and when we keep on receiving chapters, uh, we keep on releasing these payments while the book is published. And once the book is published, the book starts selling and it starts generating its revenue. So these advances, uh, as Eric mentioned, whether the book sells enough or not, this is a minimum guarantee that the author does get paid. And then once the book starts performing better and better over the period of time, uh, these initial advances are recouped. And once it's recouped, you start generating more royalties over the period of time, and that gets paid once a quarter. And you get there is complete transparency every uh, at the end of every quarter. You receive your own royalty statement where you can see where the uh, revenue was generated from, uh, if it was from a certain channel, uh, whether it was translation right, whether it was coursework, and what was the revenue generated on that. And then you see your bifurcation of your royalties from it. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, generally it's per quarter. Uh, that's the same with the yeah. two publishers I work with. Uh, but sometimes the publisher would say they would you know, do a monthly payout and so on. But I don't think that's very common. So the general, like you, whichever publisher you work with, you could probably bank on quarterly. And yeah. you know, sometimes it takes a uh, sometimes it takes one quarter to aggregate because there's you know book returns and uh, yeah. like the revenue gets later. So. It's uh, so. For example, if you if it's Q two end of Q two, you actually get the payout from Q one of that yeah. year, and then you know Q three, the end of Q two, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, the reason mainly for that is a lot of channels pay out later, so yeah. they wait for the entire revenue to be accumulated, and then they pay out in the following quarter. Right. So, yeah. Right. Right. So I mean, that's just the way things work yeah. because there's so many different revenues, uh, so many yeah. different channels, basically. Yeah. Um. 
So you mentioned performance uh, a few. We mentioned performance a few times, Tushar. So、mm-hmm. should we just go over what is considered、yeah. good performance work? So good performance for any book would be firstly acceptance from the community.、Okay. Uh, how is the community responding to the book? Whether it's they are so you would see that on Goodreads,、uh, you would see that on Amazon. If people really like the book, they even go ahead and post about the book. Uh, in their blogs,、uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, so you would see the response from the community about the book.、Uh, one is that, and second is always the revenue.、Uh, the more number of books that sells, is the better the revenue of the book. And、yeah. if the book continues to sell well,、uh, the other countries where English is not predominantly、uh, the primary learning language, they pick up the book to translate it into a different language. So yeah, you would see a lot of、uh, Japan, China,、uh, South Korea,、uh, sometimes Russia. So a lot of countries where English again is not the predominant language of learning, they pick up the books and they translate it. So, yeah. 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 So what about ranking though? So like you know the book sells numbers, of course, right? Like you know、okay. that's that's kind of a given, but kind of subjectively, how do you know? So for example, you know somebody wants to write a book. On、mm-hmm. machine learning, and they want to know what is the best-selling machine learning book.、Um, so they will look at, you know, ex- ranking on Amazon, for example. So、mm-hmm. ranking-wise, what would you say? Kind of a benchmark range that you say, okay, I look at that ranking, and it's it's probably one of the the book that actually generates revenue, like the author have earned out their royalty, for example. Yeah. yeah. So I. I- This is something that I've been keeping a track of quite a long since quite a long time、yeah. now. So、right. uh, books under hundred thousand. So there are about wow. I hope I don't get the number wrong. I believe there are about more than six million books on Amazon in the Amazon、yeah. store. So、uh, yeah. anything under a hundred thousand ranking on Amazon, that means a book is selling really well.、Uh, anything close to it is doing all right. And then the moment it slips, I'll. Over five hundred thousand or over a million, that means the book is not really selling well. And right,、uh, so once go ahead, yeah, yeah no, no, go once ahead, you once you publish a book, so authors do get、uh, the Amazon data as well. So Eric, you would have this because your book,、uh, your name is mapped on Amazon, so you can go and check the daily units of your book.、Uh, Amazon provides this data to authors and to publishers. So there is completely transparency again. So it's not that the、uh, the publishers hide that data from the authors, because authors have that transparency. They can see、uh, the range of the book ranking over the period of time. They can see the trend. So if the author has made a post or if the author has just spoken at a conference, they could probably just come back and see it after a week, and they can see that oh, so this is what happened. I made a post, and then all of a sudden my Amazon book ranking went really low. Or I sold a lot of units. <laughs> so、right. just just to see what really works. Or I spoke at a conference, and I distributed a discount code, and all of a sudden my book is in ten thousand ranking on Amazon,、right. which is an amazing place to be if it's in ten thousand、right. out of six point five million. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I was going to、yeah, say. Absolutely. So unfortunately, those are kind of indirect signals of the success of your. Uh, of your marketing effort, right? But、yeah. back to what Tushar was saying. Yes. So in the author portal on Amazon,、um, generally they would give tracking of about eight million、uh, books. So six point five eight million books. So this is it's a giant, ginormous amount of、uh, yeah. books, right? But 
consider those are the books that are still in circulation and some are out of circulation, right? So that's yeah. all, that's including all the you know Harry Potters and all yeah. the um, I don't know Dune, like you know that just came out. Yeah. So it's you know uh, all these books, right? Like you know Lord of the Rings, these classics. So a million yeah. copies, and um, so that means if you're lower than eighty thousand. Uh, on the Amazon ranking, and Amazon by far, at least in the United States, is the biggest distributor for books nowadays. So, if it's lower than eighty thousand, that means you're in the top one percent, right? So, like a general rule of thumb, yeah. like what Tushar was saying, uh, less than hundred k would be considered a good performance book, and that's what you shoot for. And I'll be honest, like my book don't always rank under that; it would hover around that range, and then uh, it would, you know, also do something else too. But, um, but yeah, so that was, um, uh, that's, you know, kind of a, a good benchmark on what's a performant book. Yeah. Yeah. So also, um, there are some, uh, questions. So let me go ahead and show them. So, uh, Baroth asked, what will be the next technology to learn with satellite communication and the cloud? Um, I think the cloud, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I, my, my crystal ball is actually in the shop, so I don't, I don't have it with me. Um, but I, I can't tell the future, but um, I think if you look at some of the popular topics, the cloud, obviously is still day two, um, you know, you have all these other, uh, you know, uh, technologies like Python, which just became number one ranking programming language. That's still worth your effort to learn. Uh, and a lot of other a lot of other topics. So I would say, you know, unfortunately, that's not a great answer. But I, I think Tushar, you wanted to say something. I, I'm just trying to understand the question. I think it's uh, Bharat is trying to inquire about IoT and cloud, and how to communicate with satellites. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure, Bharat. If you can just try it again and better define the question, we'll be able to understand it. Yeah, fair enough. So the next question would be. How do vet book? How do you, I guess, uh, vet book ideas on emerging practices? What does that process look like? Um, it, we went over this a little bit, but Tushar, why don't you, you know, just uh, go maybe go into depth a little bit more on that? Yeah, so emerging practices again, it's it's all about trends. So uh, I'll speak about one of my most recent books. Uh, it was a book on transformers. Uh, so I was keeping a track of transformers for a long, long time. And uh, I was talking to quite a few industry experts. Uh, so Transformers is uh, a deep learning architecture for natural language processing. Uh, and yeah, I was keeping a track of it and I was seeing a lot of different uh, deep learning architectures popping up for it. And there were so many articles and that's when we planned out that there is no book out there and we should be the first ones in the market to publish a book on such a topic. And we did that. Uh, we published the book on Transformers in early Jan this year. Uh, so when we did that, the book, well, the book is still selling like crazy because there is still no competition on it. Or, well, at least there is no published one. Uh, then PAC published a couple of more books to, uh, you know, complete the learning path. So people, if they want to learn about a broad book, they can pick up Transformers for natural language processing. If they've done that, they can then next go to Mastering Transformers. If they want to learn about a specific uh, deep learning architecture, they can pick up getting started with Google BERT or exploring GPT-3. So yeah, there are a lot of different books about it. So I think that's the vetting thing that we do. We keep a track of 
a lot of different uh, trends, uh, the pain points, and yeah, so that's what the process is for that. Yeah, thanks, Tushar. That's a that's a good point. Uh, what's the ratio? So I think I think it's always a risk, right? So emerging ideas and practices, and you're taking a risk both as an author who's you know spending the time and effort, as well as the yeah. publisher. So what is the? I mean, you do your homework, um, like you said, but it's no guarantee that you'll be a success. So what is yeah. the hit and miss ratio? Um, you would say, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that, is that okay to disclose or? Yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Uh, so th- there are hits and misses. There is both. So uh, at PACT, there are two different teams. Uh, so PACT works quite differently as compared to other uh, publishers. Uh, so at PACT, there is a team which is dedicated on focusing in, on emerging practices. Uh, they, pu- they publish books on newer practices, newer technologies, uh, niche practices, wherein uh, it will be targeted to a very, very small community. And then there is the team that I work in, which focuses completely on experts like you, Eric, and successful books, uh, which are which are published by the mainline team. We pick that book up in our team, and then we try and take it to the next level. So uh, the easier way to distinguish that on Amazon or on the pack catalog is when you see the author's picture on the book cover, that is a book which has been successful in the previous editions, and we've taken it on board, and we are multiplying uh, the performance of the book. Yeah, so that's a good point too. So Tushar, as you mentioned, there are different teams within uh, Pact, right? So for emerging practice, and just like my book was, you started out with just the uh, uh, kind of a general team, right? So they yeah. would they would give you a chance to publish it. You know, they do their homework on you know uh, Google search trends and you know conferences yeah. and all of that, right? But that is still with the general team on giving yeah. you a chance on this emerging and what they'll probably start with is a learning path, right? Like the, the, the learning series, as we talked about, that has the widest reach of potential audience. And yeah. uh, once that's a success uh, or once that's proven to be a success on the sales volume and numbers, then uh, you explore into, you know, the mastering series or the uh, cookbooks type of books. And then um, also your team, um, after the the two editions, you know, you 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 reached out, and this is a specific team within Pact. Uh, as you say, that's a little bit different. That uh, it's an expert series where it has a, the book has a proven record of X amount of sales volume, and then yeah. you work with the authors to give you more uh, resources and more dedicated yeah. and and so on. So, um, so I think that's what that's yeah. that's a summarization of what you said, or did I miss yeah. it? Yeah, so so the mainline team who work on emerging practices, they are an extremely talented bunch. And uh, they are way ahead than I am. So they are way more talented than I am personally. So what we try to do in our team is uh, we pick up uh, the books which are performing well and we ensure that the author gets further support. And it's not just limited uh, to the book, but also the content and even the post-publication. Uh, we support the author with building up their brand, uh, sharing more and more uh, conference opportunities or whatever it is, wherever we can publicize the book as much as possible. Like with Eric, we were discussing the possibility of going deeper into the community with the next edu- edition and uh, trying to collaborate with the Python community. And well, hopefully, we can <laughs> wait. Aim for oh, the stars. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see yeah. about that. But we'll definitely try to work with the community. Yeah. So, um, so I want to get this question in. I mean, we're coming up on an hour, but I want to get this question in because this is one of the top three questions I get. How long does mm-hmm. it take to write a book? And um, I think really that's where that pre-planning comes into place. And that's why it's, yeah. it's helpful to think about that, right? So usually, I don't know, people, people and, and it's different than anybody, uh, everybody. Be, that's why it's so hard to answer. For me mm-hmm. personally, because of the pre-planning process, I generally have a good idea as well as if I look ahead of the schedule I have, um, how long how long it might take, right? You kind of have a, a guess on that, especially with family situation. If you have a newborn baby, it's different than, you know, your kids are off in college, right? That's for yeah. sure. So um, so generally, I would say it takes anywhere between six months to two years. I think that's what I heard from other authors. For me, I always try to find a good time. If I know the next few months, like I told Tushar multiple times on, on this one, actually, if the next few months it doesn't work for me, we'd rather to wait until you can yeah. focus on the book project. So generally, if you could find an optimal time and undisturbed few months to work on it, I think generally that's good enough. As long as you're disciplined on yeah. writing um, and you know, writing and focusing, and you generally know the the material well enough that you don't have to do a lot of research. But I'll tell you, in my writing experience, I even though I know the material like ninety percent, I still go on double check just because I'm so scared yeah. of misrepresenting something. And I think that's true for a lot of people. So, pat that up a little bit. And also, writing the book is one thing. It generally takes a, a lot of, a, I don't know, like generally takes about 30% more time as far as proofreading, uh, editing your book, coming back. Uh, I mean, you could be the perfect writer in the world. You still make grammar mistakes. You still, mm-hmm. there's still passages that you're not unclear about. So you always, the first draft would not be the final one. So you plan some time yeah. to rewrite those. And then afterwards, there's also time that they have to uh, do, uh, you know, copy editing. They have to do, you know, book covers, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, all the other post process to, to pre-sell the book listing and so on. That takes another month as well. So yeah. if you count that backwards, that's generally like eight months already, right? So yeah. uh, Tushar, you have something to say about that? Yeah, so I think publishing a book right from ideation and well, the entire process takes on an average about six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's not something to be worried about because it's not six to 12 months of full-time writing. Right. Uh, a, yeah, a lot of people write in the evenings, some write over the weekends, uh, some write while they're traveling. There are a lot of authors that I work with who travel a lot. So while they're traveling, because they are offline, uh, they tend to do a lot of their writing at that time. Right. But more than the writing, it's the research that goes on at the back end. Yeah. Oh uh, my God. So yeah. yeah, so it's it's about being up to date with what you have to write. So it's preparing. That's when the ideation bit really, really helps you a lot. So I've worked with a few authors uh, who make this common mistake. A lot of people, what they do is they try and complete the manuscript first, and then they try to find the publisher Mm -hmm. uh, because they feel that probably later on, I may not be able to commit that much time. Uh, I generally, with my experience, out of the tons of manuscripts I've received, only 10 to 12 of them have gone through to publication. Mm. Uh, because by the time they've completed the manuscript and they've come to us, 
there was so much that we could have helped them during the process of it or any other publisher for that matter uh they could have helped them with uh during the ideation process itself and we would have saved them a lot of time and energy they missed that and they jumped ahead and they wrote the entire book and they came so uh the entire vetting process was missed and by the time the manuscript was ready the technology was either way behind or we were way, way too late to the market so it didn't make sense to publish a book as such yeah so i think what you said i would con- concur with that 100% it's it's idea of minimum viable product right so yeah. as soon as you so this is this goes into our next question if you have a book idea how do you go about making a published book so uh you know have an idea and then make it into a minimum viable product whatever that is whether that's a blog post you know go out and publish that whether that's a conference proposal go on and do that right so as long as you could generate some feedback into a forum or this could mm-hmm. be um and very all of the publishers have uh forms that you could fill out to propose your book idea so don't wait until like tushar said don't wait until you finish the book like even mm-hmm. halfway into the book find that yeah. minimal viable product channel and uh submit that proposal if that we're talking about books right so submit that proposal as a conference talk as a book proposal and work with an editor to actually fine tune that uh leverage their experience right it's in the best interest to uh, to have a best selling book so yeah if you have an idea go submit that proposal and uh you know go from there and use them as a partner use them as a uh you know resource to help you get that idea out yeah Yeah, so we're actually up on the hour. Um I know we have one I want to we have a few more questions but I I don't think I, but I think we covered the most ones. The ones that I really want to cover, the top 3 already uh that we already covered. So there's one more coming um and uh so on uh Barath. So let's just say I have retro master in Python networking. It's nice. What do you suggest Python or YAML or JSON? Um I think all of them. <laughs> well, thanks for reading the book to begin with. So, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the readership. And um, you know, a lot of times we don't get to choose actually because we're in the world of, you know, vendor-driven or company-driven, cloud-driven. Um, so we're actually on the receiving end of that, right? I could say what I prefer. I prefer Python and, you know, JSON in the message exchanges, but you know i don't get to pick so if it's netconf i do netconf if it's yang model i have to do yang model in order to get my point across right but given a choice it's always python and json so you know uh thanks brath for for the question um this one more on the which company will be their cloud product you strongest cloud mm-hmm. so i'm sorry let me let me read that which company will be their uh cloud technology strongest cloud company um I don't know like I said my crystal balls in the shop I I I can't I can't peer, veer into that but just judging from the most market share I would say it's AWS right they had the head start and um I'm kind of impartial cuz I uh cuz I where I live I work for both AWS and Azure so you know both of them pay pay for my you know mortgage at one point in time so but <laughs> so it's not a favoritism it's um i think just purely judging by market share right now is aws but who knows right like azure is coming out strong yeah so before we part uh, i had such a great time thank you all for participating uh thank you for all the great questions i really enjoy them i mean this is the best part about streaming even though there's a lot of prep work but this is the best part about streaming um any call to action any parting words to shar uh before we say goodbye 
no, just keep your questions coming. And then uh, after Eric publishes this on LinkedIn uh, and YouTube, we'll go back and we'll pick up five random names and uh, uh, I'll get them announced on LinkedIn after we've done that. And yeah, and you will get a chance to win a free ebook of Eric's Mastering Python Networking 3rd Edition. And don't worry about it if you've already purchased the book and if you've read it, uh, we'll open the pack library for you. Just Yeah, we, we don't want to punish pick, the people who purchased the book. <laughs> yeah, you, you can pick and choose any book that you like, like from our catalog. And yeah, we'll get that out to you. Yeah, that's very generous. Again, thanks to Shard for being here. I, I really appreciate it. I think your opinion is super, much more valuable than mine because I'm one single data point, right? You cover <laughs> all the spectrum and the seven years of experience. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Eric. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah, everyone. Thank, thanks, everyone. I will uh, see you next time. If you have any questions, make sure you comment uh, on either YouTube or LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, see you there. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.